Thanks, Becky. Do, uh, do keep Habakkuk 1 and 2 open in front of you. Uh, let's pray together uh, as we come to God's Word. Our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, want to acknowledge that our words uh, are fickle, our words change, we don't always say what we mean, um, but Father, thank you that as we've already heard this morning, your words are true, uh, they are unchanging and they can be trusted. And so, Father, please help us to listen to your word now, we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin looking at, at these couple of chapters, I want us to uh, start by thinking about a time when you have experienced injustice. Think of a time, if you can, when you have experienced or felt injustice. It might be something that, that's happened to you personally. Maybe you've been overlooked or, or mistreated because of your age or your skin color or your gender. It might be to do with someone close to you, a child who's been bullied or a friend who's been mistreated. It might be something that you've seen or heard on the news. George Floyd killed last summer. Christians persecuted in Nigeria or the Middle East. Whether it's for ourselves or on behalf of someone else, most of us, I think, know what injustice feels like. And the prophet Habakkuk is no different. If you were with us last week, we saw that Habakkuk is a man surrounded by injustice. And not just out there in the world, but injustice in God's people. As he looks out at the people of Judah, from the king to the man on the street, Habakkuk sees evil and injustice everywhere. And he stands there in the middle of the mess, and we heard last week, didn't we? He stands there and he cries, How long, Lord? How long must I keep crying to you? How long before you do something, before you act against this evil, this injustice? How long? We saw Habakkuk's cry, and then we saw the Lord's response. God said to Habakkuk, I will deal with injustice. I will act against evil, just not in the way you might expect. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, that wicked nation, to come and judge the people of Judah, to deal with their injustice. And perhaps unsurprisingly, Habakkuk then was left with a whole lot more questions than answers. And maybe you were the same, maybe you ended last week not quite sure, still full of questions. At the end of chapter 1 that we've just had read, we can still see Habakkuk wrestling with those questions. He, he's trying to hold two things together. God's perfect holy character, it's there in verse 12, and his use of the wicked Babylonians in verses 15 to 17. And so there in verse 13, you can see he says, Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Lord, this doesn't make sense. I know who you are, but it doesn't make sense with what you're doing. How is this fair? It doesn't make sense to me. Habakkuk continues to, to cry out against the evil and injustice around him. And then at the start of chapter 2, he, 
he stands back. He stands and he waits for God's answer. Habakkuk watches, he waits, and then once again in his mercy, the Lord responds. And just like back in chapter 1, verse 5, God begins his response by telling Habakkuk to pay careful attention. Just look at 2, verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Habakkuk, make what I'm about to say crystal clear. Write it down, take note, because this news, this revelation that I'm about to give, it's not just for you, Habakkuk. No, this is a message for all people, for all time. Verse 3, it's a a message about the end, something to come. You're going to have to wait for it, says the Lord. The thing I'm going to describe, it's not going to happen straight away, but you can be sure it will happen. End of verse 3, it will certainly come, says the Lord. And so you see, at the start, God wants to be sure that he has Habakkuk's and our attention. He wants to be sure that Habakkuk is listening carefully before he answers this cry for justice. And what is his answer? What, what will God do? Well, the big thing that, that the Lord wants Habakkuk to understand, the big thing he wants us to understand, is that justice will be done. Justice will be done. The wicked will be judged but the righteous will live by faith. That's the big message of Habakkuk 2. That's the the news that is to be written down and taken across the world. The wicked will be judged, but the righteous will live by faith. And we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at that in more detail. So first, the wicked will be judged. Verse 4, we're reintroduced to the Babylonians and that we get, see again that greedy, arrogant nation. And what follows in pretty much the rest of the chapter is a series of woes. Five woes against Babylon. Maybe you heard that word as it was read. Woe is, is a word that we, we don't tend to use very much today, do we? But back then it tended to be used at funerals. It's a word that is a a lament over death. And so here God is basically pronouncing death over those he describes. He's saying these people, they are as good as dead. Woe to them because of their actions. What are those actions? What what kind of behavior deserves woe, deserves death? Well, firstly, in verses 4 to 16, we can see it's the indulgence of, of Babylon. God's woe is against those who, verse 5, always want more. Those whose greed is is never satisfied. And so, verse 6, they pile up stolen goods to to make themselves wealthy. Verse 9, they they build their house or, or their nation at the expense of others. And across in verse 12, they will do absolutely anything, even kill, even shed blood, in order to grab power for themselves. It's not hard to see how the Babylonians were guilty of that sort of greed. They literally built their empire at the expense of others. 
uh, through killing, through destroying and capturing other people, the Babylonians sought to make themselves invincible. Uh, Verse 9 says that, that through injustice they set their nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. They thought they could make themselves invincible at the expense of others. And it would be really easy, wouldn't it, as we go through these woes to think, well, I'm glad I don't live back in those days. I'm glad that we live in a, in a much more civilized, much fairer society today. But we mustn't be fooled. We mustn't be fooled into thinking that people aren't just as capable of similar injustice and greed today. Society is full of people who are obsessed with getting what they want, with very little care for anyone else. There are plenty of people today who don't think twice about trampling on others in order to make their way up the career ladder. People whose life is all about getting more power, more possessions, regardless of the cost. We all know that we don't have to be an ancient superpower to be empire builders, do we? And so like Babylon, we need to hear God's warning in verse 13. Verse 13 says, Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Like a child who spends all day in the hot sun building the most magnificent castle, uh, in sandcastle, only to have it flattened by the tide coming in, God says that is how it will be for those who spend their days greedily building for themselves, building their bank balances, building their careers, building their homes, building their empires. Because, says the Lord, in the end, in the end, those who work for their own glory will find their lives are just fuel for God's judgment, that they've exhausted themselves for nothing. And like the unstoppable tide sweeps away the sandcastle with ease, God will sweep away the mess and the injustice of those who greedily work for their own glory. And in its place, in its place, verse 14, he will fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. Woe to greedy empire builders, says the Lord. And then in verse 15, we see God's judgment, his woe against the immoral. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskins until they're drunk so that they can gaze on their naked bodies. Babylon was a a nation that worshipped wine and sex. They were renowned for their parties, obsessed with their pleasure. And so again, it's not a million miles away from society today, is it? But again, verse 16 says, in the end, they will be the ones exposed. They will be the ones filled with shame. Because the cup from the Lord's right hand, the cup of his wrath, the cup of his anger against their sin is coming to them. Woe to the immoral, says the Lord. And then thirdly, God says, woe to the idolatrous. Verse 18, 
Of what value is an idol uh, carved by a craftsman or or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. This is really the heart of the Babylonians' problem. They are idol worshippers. They trust in created things rather than the creator. And again, it would be so easy to think, well, we're far beyond that nowadays. We've moved past all of that idol stuff. How ridiculous to think that that people would listen to and love something that they've made more than they listen to and love the one who's made them. But we mustn't be fooled. People today still worship, still build their lives on all sorts of things that are not God's. You see, idolatry, it's not just about bowing down to blocks of wood. No, it's trusting in, listening to, and living for things that are not the living God. Things that in the end simply cannot deliver what they promise. You may have heard it said that idolatry is turning good things into God things. And then running to them for our our ultimate source of hope and and comfort and security and fulfillment in this life. And if we're honest, that is something that all of us do. But verse 19, the Lord says, idolatry is as dangerous as it is stupid. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can he give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. These things can't help you, says the Lord. They're dead. They're lifeless. They're they're hopeless. They can't give you the answers. They can't give you the hope that you're looking for. And more than that, worshipping them, it's an offense to the living God. Verse 20, it is an offense to the one who sits in his holy temple, the one who sits on his throne. It is an offense to the Lord who one day the whole earth will fall silent as he says, woe to those who have made their own gods. Woe to those who have rejected the glory of the living God and exchanged it for idols. Woe to the idolatrous. And so you see, the Lord's answer to Habakkuk's cry for justice, his plea is this. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. The wicked will face God's anger. They won't get away with it forever. And for the Babylonians, that is exactly what happens. We saw it, didn't we, back in the summer in Daniel. The mighty Babylonians end up swept aside by the next superpower, the Persians. They are done away with. The end. And so now, perhaps when lockdown is over, you can go and see the might and the glory of the Babylonian Empire in room 55 in the British Museum. God's judgment on Babylon was absolutely certain. It will certainly come, says the Lord. And though Habakkuk had to wait for it, in the end, it came. But I hope you've also begun to see that 
that God's judgment, it wasn't just certain for Babylon. It's also certain for us. Because the end that the Lord speaks about in verse 3 is not just the end for the Babylonians. It's the end of all things. At the day when God will come to judge the whole earth. You can read about it at the end of the Bible in Revelation 16 to 19, where Babylon refers to all of the wicked, all of the evil. Uh, The day when Jesus will come to put an end to it once and for all. When he will deal with wickedness and injustice and sin forever. And so just as Habakkuk could be sure that, that judgment would come for the Babylonians, so can we. Though it may linger, though we might have to wait for it, God will judge the wicked. That is certain. And if there wasn't anything else in this chapter, well, like Gareth has just showed us, that would be pretty bad news for us. It would be bad news because whilst we might rejoice and take comfort in the fact that ultimately justice will be done, we at the same time have to admit that, that we are, as well as victims, perpetrators of injustice. That we stand guilty before this holy God and so we face his judgment. It would be bad news for all of us if this is where the Bible ended. But wonderfully, it's not where Habakkuk ends, it's not where the Bible ends, because though God will judge the, the wicked, the righteous will live by faith. That's the second thing we need to see. The righteous will live by faith. Look back at verse 4 with me. Because in the middle of a a, a chapter full of judgment and woe, full of bad news for the wicked, there's this incredible verse in verse 4. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Or as your footnote might have it, the righteous person will live by faith. The greedy, the, the wicked, the evil, the idolatrous, they will be judged by God. But the righteous person, the one who is in the right with God, they won't face judgment and death. No, the Lord says they will live. And so the vital question for us this morning is this. How is that possible? How is it possible? We've just, we've just seen that all people are guilty. So how can anyone be called righteous? How can anyone have life rather than the death they deserve? Well, the Lord says the righteous one is the one who has faith. And people today, they get a little bit confused by that term, don't they? They view it a little bit like uh, any other ability or talent. I wish I had your artistic eye. I wish I had your sporting ability. I wish I had your faith. It's easy to think of faith as something that you're just born with, and so something that only some people have. But that isn't how the Bible talks about it. The Bible says faith is simply trusting in something. And so we can see for Habakkuk, having faith simply meant trusting God, trusting his promises. For Habakkuk, the the way through the Babylonian invasion, the way through God's judgment, the way to live was to have faith in God. And what was true for Habakkuk remains true for us today. 
You might know that the Apostle Paul picks up this verse and he uses it in his letter to the Romans to show how anyone can be made right with God. And so Romans 1 verse 17 says this, For in the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. His Habakkuk, just as it was written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says the way to be right with God is through faith in the gospel, through trusting the good news about Jesus Christ. How does that work? Well, it works because on the cross, Jesus dealt with the judgment that we've spent most of this morning thinking about. You see, although Jesus had lived a perfect life, although he was the only truly righteous one, he took on himself the sin and the guilt of people like you and me. On the cross, Jesus took and drank the cup of God's wrath, the cup from his right hand, and in exchange, he gives us his perfection. He gives us his righteousness. So that now, we guilty sinners can be counted right with God. Not because of anything that we have done, not because of anything we have earned, but because Jesus gives it to us freely. Which means that all we have to do is, is take it. It's simply put our trust in what Jesus has done for us. That is the wonderful news of the gospel, that we are made right with God simply through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you are someone here this morning who, who is still relying on someone or something else, if you're trusting in something else to make you right with God, well, the big thing you need to see from Habakkuk is that it will not work. Just like the idols in verse 18, it is hopeless. It won't work. There is only one way to be made right with God, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so come to him. Come to him and trust him, because the righteous will live by faith. But that's not all. It's not all because because plenty of us this morning will have done that. Uh, plenty of us this morning are trusting in Jesus and so have life in him. Which means the thing that we need to see in, and we're going to end on this morning is that faith is not just the way in, but the way on. Just turn with me if you have a Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36. Because in Hebrews chapter 10, as you turn there, we find this verse from Habakkuk quoted again. And, and this time, the context is very similar to Habakkuk. The writer is talking to Christians, people who have trusted in Jesus, who have faith in him. But Christians who are experiencing difficult times. Like Habakkuk, they face opposition and threat. And so this letter is written to encourage them. Let's read what it says, verse 36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And here's Habakkuk 2. But my righteous one will live by faith. 
And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. You see the point? In Habakkuk and in Hebrews, we're told that in order to persevere, in order to keep going, we need to have faith. What does it mean to persevere in faith? Well, the writer of Hebrews shows us in the next verse, 11 verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Again, I think sometimes people make the mistake of thinking faith is just this wishful thinking. Some people say, I wish I had your faith, and others say, well, faith is just for the gullible. It's a a fingers crossed leap in the dark. But again, that's just not how the Bible talks about it. In in Habakkuk and in Hebrews, faith is listening to and trusting the Word of God. It is trusting the one who has shown us again and again and again and again that whatever the future holds, His Word is true and it will not fail. It's believing that though things look dark now, We can be confident in what we hope for. We can be confident in that it won't always be like this. And so as Habakkuk stands there and he sees the Babylonian army coming over the horizon, God says to him, you need to have faith. You need to trust me. As the Christians in Hebrews face persecution and suffering, God says to them, you need to have faith. You need to trust me. And as we face a new year, a year that will be filled with more difficulty, more injustice, more suffering, God says to us, you need to have faith. You need to trust me. You need to have faith that in the end, I will come to judge the wicked. I will right every wrong. I will deal with injustice. You need to trust me that in the end I will take away all pain and suffering and sickness and death. Those things will be no more. You need to trust me that in the end the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You need to have faith. You need to trust me. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again as we did at the start that your word is completely trustworthy and true. Father, thank you for your amazing promises that we can read and listen to and hear in your word. Promises of grace, promises of a a future without sin and sickness and suffering and death. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who comes and ensures that those promises are kept Please help us to have faith in him. Help us to trust him, to trust you, to trust your promises and to live in the light of them today, we pray, for your glory. Amen.